You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. A decision like this doesn't happen overnight. It's over a period of time. Unfortunately, it is my role to make the best decisions for the organization going forward. And I believe that this group of players needs a new voice. In no way is anything negative on uh, Barry Trotz, who, as each and every one of you knows, if uh, you've had the opportunity to meet him, is a tremendous human being. And saying that, I'm open for any questions. Okay, welcome once again to the podcast, 32 Thoughts, presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. And Elliot, we recorded a full podcast late, 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 or early, 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 depending on when you go to bed, Sunday night slash Monday morning. But you're going to hear that in a second. This is the very latest news, and it revolves around the New York Islanders announcing this morning that they have relieved Barry Trotz from his duties as head coach. Your thoughts? Lou Lamorello, Monday morning surprise. (laughs) Uh, There were some rumors that this could happen. But as you know, the chances of proving (laughs) that until Lou Lamorello was good and ready to tell us that that could happen were zero. So I think we just had to wait and see it play out. And uh, to be honest... I'm not even sure the assistants really knew in New York what was happening. Hmm. It sounds like it caught a lot of people by surprise. And I was on the conference call this morning uh, with Lamorello, and he said that I believe this group of players needs a new voice. And I think it was Andrew Gross, uh, one of the reporters there who covers the Islanders, who said, what are some of those reasons? And he said, I'm not getting into them. So we really weren't given a a lot of information. Hmm. I think that there's going to be a lineup of teams going after Barry Trotz. And I think first and foremost on that list are going to be the Winnipeg Jets. I have to think that they have to be looking at that and saying, this is exactly the guy that we need. And he obviously has the, the Manitoba connections. Played with the Regina Pats. Yes. Uh, and That's Saskatchewan, but still he's a Western Canadian guy. Well, he's from Manitoba. But I, I don't think they're going to be the only ones. Like, I got to think there's some coaches that are already in place are going to be a little more nervous uh, right now. I just think that there's going to be a lineup of teams going after him. I think one of the questions is going to be, like, don't forget, he was under contract for another year. He doesn't have to rush into anything if he doesn't want to. What does he want to do? I think there's a lot of coaches, if you listen to Paul Maurice, they're going through some degree of burnout 
Uh, I'm not sure that, you know, he's one of those guys. I'm just trying to say that I think that it's going to be as much on Trotz making a choice on what his future is and what he wants to do right away as opposed to all the teams going after him. But I can imagine him and his representative, the phones are buzzing off the hook the moment this got announced. Well, it it is interesting, too. Um, You look at the history of Barry Trotz, and here's what I've always thought about Barry Trotz. He gets the absolute most out of what he's given. That was true in Nashville. That was true with uh, Washington Capitals, and they won a Stanley Cup. And I really think that was true with the New York Islanders. Like, I know this was a bad season, and I know this, uh, everyone has their own opinions on what went wrong and, and what happened this season. But I was, I, I was always of the belief that behind the bench, Barry Trotz was able to squeeze out the most of this group. And this is a little bit of an older group as well. I've, I've always believed that, that Trotz got the most out of this Islanders organization, out of this Islanders team, rather. I don't know how you could even argue against that. Like Jeff, a lot of your takes are just garbage, really. But <laughs> you, you, you can't argue against that. Uh, he was a major cornerstone yeah. in turning the Predators into one of the best teams in the NHL. I was actually thinking about this this morning when the Predators honor Barry Trotz, whenever he retires. Like, what do they put up on the banner for Barry Trotz? You know, Bill Torrey has a bow tie, for example. Like, what do they put up for Barry Trotz when they put his banner up there? Look, the, the Washington Capitals, he got them to the Stanley Cup and won them. And look what he did with the Islanders. He took them. How good was that Tampa team last year? And he took them to a Stretched one them. nothing loss in Game 7. Stretched and yeah. And, like, like, he brings in structure. He makes teams better. I mean, there's there's no question about it. That's, I think, what's so shocking about all this. And and that's why I think that there's going to be, like, I think there's going to be an avalanche of teams going after him saying, mm-hmm. you know, Barry, what do you want to do? What's it going to take for us to get you? It's going to be really something. I, I think that the interest in him is going to be sky high. As I said, it's always going to be a big question about, what does he want to do? Mm. And then the other question becomes, who's the next head coach of the New York Islanders? Yeah. And as much as there'll be a list of teams lining up for the services of Barry Trotz, I would imagine there'll be a lot of coaches getting in touch with Lou Amarillo and promising they won't say a thing about it, Elliot. It's like the Iserman one last week. I, I don't want to talk to you because if Iserman <laughs> finds out, I, I'm out. You know, Lamorello could do anything. It's not like he's going to tip us off. Yeah. I don't know what to predict here, to be perfectly honest. I do wonder if the Islanders could become a team that asks about Joel Quenville and, you know, what are the rules here? What are we allowed to do? I, I could see them potentially at least investigating does this make sense for us? And then everybody kind of figuring out what this is going to take or what Quenville has to show. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. But again, predicting what Lou Lamorello is going to do is borderline impossible. Uh, that's a fool's game, trying to predict Lou Lamorello, uh, trying to get any information uh, out of that corner as well. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. All right, another update. This is 90 minutes after Jeff and I did an insert. I just had a thought, and I wanted to include this. So we're all sitting there, and we're wondering, 
Lou Lamorello says the Islanders need a new voice, but he doesn't tell us anything about it. This is my updated theory. During the exit interviews, enough of the players said we kind of need a fresh voice that it convinced Lamorello after thinking about it for a few days that that's where he had to go. And the reason he didn't give us much in the conference call is A, he doesn't like to share private conversations that he has with anyone, and in this case, the players. And B, he thinks so highly of Trotz as a person and what he did for the Islanders that he didn't want to say that. That's my theory, and I'm going with it right now. It doesn't mean that Trotz is a bad guy or anything like that. He most certainly isn't. I just wonder if in this particular case, the Islanders organization thought that this group of players and this coach had just run its course, which seems unbelievable to me considering all the success. But when you're looking for reasons this could have happened, that's what's in my head right now. Okay, uh, that's the very latest. Barry Trotz out as head coach of the New York Islanders. Now, here's the podcast we were about to release before this news broke. Now, back to our program. We will start your week with a look back at the weekend that was around the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. Elliot is en route to his palatial estate. I'm in my home, Amel's in his home, and we're about to talk about what we just saw on television. But before we get there, Elliot, a couple of things from Saturday. One, I want to talk about the San Jose Sharks with you and the reports about Burns and Carlson. But first, the Winnipeg Jets situation and Mark Shifley saying, I'm not asking for a trade. Yeah, you know, first of all, I would like to say that Jeff's property is actually larger than mine. I think everybody (laughs) should know that. Number two... On Shifley, it's been tough. Like, the Jets have been trying to be really careful about this, but it was a story that really had to be followed up after Shifley's comments. And, you know, when Kevin Sheveldayoff met with the media, he made a point of saying that he hadn't yet met with Shifley and he was still going to talk to him. So I basically spent a lot of the rest of the week trying to figure out what had happened here. And from what I understand, Shifley and Sheveldayoff, after having a conversation, Shifley did not ask for a trade. Now, this is still kind of in the Jets' court. You know, what do they want to do here? Does that change their feelings? How do they go about this? And the point that somebody made to me was they have two more years of Pierre-Luc Dubois before he's got unrestricted free agency. They have two more years of Mark Shifley before he goes to unrestricted free agency. But if they are not going to know if they can keep Dubois long-term, does it make sense for them to trade Shifley now? And I think that is part of the process that they're going to be going through in the next little while. And I think in some ways... Shifley dialed down the pressure on them by not coming out and specifically asking for a trade. I think what this does is it gets the Jets some breathing time to figuring out that Dubois said it could take a while before his situation is sorted out. It just gives the Jets some room to breathe 
without a Shifley situation hanging over them in addition mm-hmm. to figure out what they want to do. Like the Jets got two pieces of pretty good news. One is that from Shifley, and one I understood that Connor Hellebuck told them the similar things. If the team is not rebuilding, if the team is willing to try to keep winning, Hellebuck is okay with staying. And I think they were a little worried about what he might say too. So I think just in the aftermath of a bad season, they've been given some good news from Hellebuck, some good news from Shifley, and it just allows them to breathe and ponder their situation a little bit. And like you know, Jeff, I think it's good for the Jets to be in a situation where a couple of their cornerstones have you know, given them a little bit of a vote of confidence here. I think that is good news for the Jets, too. Now, I still think they have a big job this summer, and I still think they have some tough choices to make. But I think that, you know, what Shifley did was buy them some time. Okay, but if I'm hearing this correctly, then the vote of confidence is only if they're not going to go the rebuild route. Yes, and I'm not convinced they want to do that anyway. So you think that there's a chance that, you know, you mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois a couple of seconds ago. So there is a chance then that come next season, both Pierre-Luc Dubois and Double Nichols, Mark Shifley, are both on the Winnipeg Jets. I don't want to make any predictions like that. Mm-hmm. I think that the safest way to say it, Jeff, is at this point in time, I don't think the Jets have made any decisions. I just think what this does is allows them to breathe a little bit and figure out what they want to do or what the proper path is. San Jose Sharks, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson. Do you want to pick up where you left off on Saturday? Okay, so what do we know? We know that the Sharks, they're not going to rebuild. They want to contend or at least keep moving forward with their new general manager. Well, that doesn't mean they're coming back with the same team right? Mm -hmm. Like we know that that team is flawed and some things have to be fixed. And the situation there is, you know, like every other team, there's really not much cap flexibility coming here. So if you're in a tight cap situation like they are, you have to figure out creative ways of, of breaking it a bit. And what I've been told, and again, people here are being very careful I think there's a recognition that the Carlson Burns situation just, it hasn't worked the way everybody hoped. They had a vision of how Carlson and Burns would work, and it just hasn't worked. There's both right-hand shots. They're both tremendous offensive talents. They both need to have lots of power play time. It's a luxury you can't afford to have two of them. And I think what they've looked at is, if it makes sense for them, do you move on from one of them? Now, I believe they had some trade talks with a couple teams on Carlson this year. However, I don't think that's gone anywhere. And I'm told it's not that likely because it's just a big contract, right? Oh, yeah. Burns has three years left. And the contract actually, in terms of actual salary goes down and he's still a heck of a player now carlson has a total no move clause burns has three teams he can be traded to without permission 
I just think that everybody recognizes here that there's the possibility that this might be one of the ways hmm. the Sharks try to break up their log jam as long as they get what they want. I, they're, like, I was told specifically by one of the teams they are not giving Burns away. Like, that is just not happening. Right. There's a package they want, and they're going to demand it. If that doesn't happen, though, and they still need to create a little bit of flexibility, I keep circling back to Vlasic. I, I keep circling back to that one. And listen, we've talked about buyout before for Mark Edward Vlasic. If they can't get what they want for Brent Burns and an Eric Carlson move is so difficult, do we just circle Mark Edward Vlasic and say, that's probably the way they go? I mean, it could be. If you read the quotes about Vlasic and you watched the end of season media conferences, yeah. they really talked up Vlasic. It sounds like he's coming back. It sounds like he's coming back for each. Maybe they're trying to shine him up a bit. I don't know. But yeah, you're right. Like They certainly sounded like they're not buying him out. We'll see. Um, one of the stories to follow uh, into the off season. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences, People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Meanwhile, to the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, Sunday evening, if I read the panel correctly, it wasn't so much that the Maple Leafs lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning 7-2. It was more how they lost to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Would that be an accurate snapshot of what the panel was discussing on Sunday evening? I don't even think it's just the panel that feels that way. I mean, you you had to see that watching. It was oh yeah, it was a beatdown. And the thing that's interesting about it is during the game, I started looking. I was thinking about something, and I went through some of the um, playoff series. And so this core of the Maple Leafs made the playoffs for the first time in 2017. So since then, you go through, and it was Washington, two series with Boston, Columbus, and then Montreal. So I think they've had nine games where they led in a series in those five playoffs. Yeah. You know how many they've won? They've won one. They have a decent record when they're tied. Mm-hmm. They have a great record when they're behind. But when they're ahead of a series, they're one and eight. They're one and eight. And the only win they had was last year against Montreal when they were up two to one. Mm-hmm. Every other time they've lost. To me, that's mental. 
I remember watching an interview once with, um, you remember I used to cover the NBA, mm. with Larry Brown, the Hall of Fame basketball coach, and he would tell his players, don't be afraid to win. He believed in there was a fear of winning, that as crazy and as counterintuitive as it sounded, he saw it in some of his teams. And I'm not in that room. I can't tell you 100% that that's the reason, but you look at the numbers and you look at the evidence, and especially you look what happened last year with Montreal, you can't help but wonder if there's something to that. Because on Sunday night, Jeff, they had a chance to get a stranglehold in that series, and they laid a total egg. I'm listening to the panel on Sunday night, and I'm thinking about it, and I don't know. To me, it comes down to the, the essential question, which is, is it a matter of composition or a matter of coaching? And I'm not, again, I'm not there, just like you said, you're not there either. So we don't know. I have no clue. I can't hot take this one. I can't try to point to something and say, there, there's the issue. There's the problem. I don't know. All I do know is it's one or the other, isn't it? It's a matter of it's the wrong mix or it's not being led the right way. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I have to say this too. I think that Kevin, as much as it pains me to say this, is on something with the Matthews usage thing. That they don't put him out to start. And a couple of times now, it's really prevented him. I mean, there are so many penalties being called. If you're the team that's getting all the power plays, you're fine because then Matthews is going to be on the ice the whole time. But if you're the team that's on the penalty kill, Matthews is not playing. And we've seen this now a couple of times in this series where they've had trouble getting Matthews into the game in the first period. I think it affects him like it would affect anyone else. For game five, enough of this stuff. I'm throwing this guy out there and I'm saying it's ride or die with Austin Matthews. Like I, I really think they have to do it. It's, They've won games one and three. They've lost games two and four. So I guess it's their night, but I'm going with them. I I think they might be out thinking themselves a little bit with how they're starting games with him. And the the, the thing about it, too, is we've talked about this a number of different times, and this is not any sort of new revelation, but that's what the elite level players crave. Yeah. Just throw me out there against whomever. I don't care. Give me any situation. Just get me on the ice as much as you can. How did you see the Jack Campbell pull? I actually thought it was going to come sooner. Kelly and I thought when it was 3 nothing in the first period that they should take him out and then say, look, maybe we'll reinsert you in the, in the second. But it came a bit later than I thought. I could understand what they were saying. Maybe we'll wait for the TV timeout. They were killing a penalty at the time. Yeah. They maybe felt it wasn't fair to Shalgren. But here's the other thing that is a bit different with all this is that and this is the year of the two goalies. Like, you know, over half the playoff teams have already used two goalies and we're barely halfway through the first round. But Toronto's really in a bad situation with that because I was texting with someone and they were like, put in Shalgren, put in Shalgren. And I'm thinking the worst thing that could happen to Toronto is in this blowout game, either one of them gets hurt. Yeah. Like, they are really hosed if one of those two goalies gets hurt. But that, hang on, that underscores one thing. We're not in the era of two goalies. We're in the the era of three goalies. Four. 
four goalies. I mean, take your pick. Yeah. Like, if, if anything, yeah. like this sort of, you know, cements that as goofy as it may sound, you might want to think about, you know, using all of your draft picks on goaltenders one of these one of these times. But you're right. Like, that's a scary one for the Maple Leafs. It's a scary one for any team, really. I want to ask you about the third line. Yeah. Hagel, Paul, and Colton. Yep. who were just outstanding. And so we talked about how important the Yanni Gord line was to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Certainly that's a, uh, an obvious story. I thought that that Paula Colton and Hagel line was outstanding on Sunday Night Fridge. Colton was the only Lightning player on in Game 3 who was not credited with a hit. And he seemed determined to make up for that. He threw a big hit right before the first goal. I got to think Lilligren's going back in for Toronto. Mm-hmm. Like This series... There was a shot of Stamkos on the bench as the National Anthem just finished and the puck was dropping. And he had this focused, serious look to him. Like, it was like, it's my time to show up in this series. And he scored in the first period. Victor Hedman left circle. Hedman to the left corner. Zips it cross ice. Kucherov right circle. Kucherov, center point. Stamkos, score! What a bomb from Stamkos! Up high! Over Campbell's stick, one minute in, the Lightning lead 1-0. Wow, now, you see how fast he didn't hesitate. It was a beautiful pass by Kucherov. I think Hedman wrapped it around the boards, and then Kucherov gets it. Stamp goes, goes up high, right up into the slot area, way up. You know, Hall, you know, I feel for him as a human being. He got his opportunity. It just hasn't worked. they got to take him out. i got to tell you... I can see the clouds circling over Tavares and Nylander right now. Nylander shifts late in the second period. I know one of them really got picked apart yeah. on social media. It's a big game for both of them. They, It's tough. Like They probably got some plays that made them feel good about themselves with the goals and the plays in the, in the third period. But I think sometimes that's almost even tougher for you when you produce in a game that's pretty much over. Because then people get on you even more. You you really have to know how to channel your energy the proper way. But I can just see where if Toronto doesn't close out this series, where all of the frustration is going to head to. All right. Well, it's uh, they're going back to the center of the hockey universe where everything is always calm and nobody overreacts. So everything will be <laughs> totally fine for game five. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings even up the series with the Edmonton Oilers with a four nothing victory. Uh, this one, Elliot, was about Kopitar. This one was about Quick. This one was about Grundstrom. Do you have anyone else you want to add to this list? Trevor Moore, Mikey Anderson. I thought Mikey Anderson, like, I confess, I have not seen a lot of him. That was the best game I've seen him play. Like, what's the Oilers' biggest advantage? The biggest advantage is they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah. What's their second biggest advantage is that they have a physical team and the Kings don't really have a big blue line. And they've pushed it around at times this year. I thought Anderson and some of their other guys, but particularly Anderson, really physically stood up to the Oilers. I thought it was really impressive. I could see McDavid coming out in game five with 11 billion points because, (laughs) honestly, Jeff, that's the quietest game I've ever seen McDavid play. They swarmed him, though. Every time, the minute he got into the zone, there were four kings around him. I mean, how many times do you see four kings around him? Listen, we've seen McDavid do it before where he danced three or four guys, but every time he entered the zone, he was circled. And to the point about Mikey Anderson, 
I mean, yeah. Mikey Anderson is going right at Connor McDavid. Yeah. And McDavid grabs him in as Louis mentioned that grabs him in the guillotine, you know, in front of Chuck Liddell there at the at the at the rink on on Sunday night. He's he's going right at McDavid and whenever he's on the ice, they are just circling him every chance they get. I just think McDavid's too good and the Oilers are too smart now not to adjust to that somehow. But I will say that that was as good a blanket as I've seen a team yeah. throw on him. I, I thought it was really cool to see Chuck Liddell there. I've always been, <laughs> you know, like I'm not a big MMA guy like you are, but, you know, Kevin was talking about it tonight. Like he was one of the guys who didn't have a lot of technique. He just stood in the middle of the ring and threw them or the octagon and threw them. Yeah. And I always liked watching Chuck Liddell. So I thought that was really cool. But you know, I've always been a big Jonathan Quick guy. Oh. I was really impressed with him tonight. And I think the Oilers, it was too quiet. I, You know, I don't think that their performance was as bad as I thought Toronto's was. But they missed an opportunity tonight, and I expect them to be a lot better on Tuesday. Jonathan Quick with the glove off tries to catch a puck. Yeah. That's one of the lasting images that I'll take out of uh, out of Sunday. By the way, I want to I want to just say thanks to all the people that sent us uh, videos of goalies. Like I I remembered Anthony Niemi, but I couldn't find the video. A bunch of people sent us the video, and then Ken Wee brought up uh, Mark Andre Fleury, and Joey Kenward sent me Garrett Sparks from the American Hockey League, and we got sent other ones. Uh, Always great to have the viewer feedback, that's for sure. Thank you for doing our work for us, is essentially what Elliot is trying to say here, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Uh, the Boston Bruins, even with their series with the Carolina Hurricanes, to all, 5-2 is the final score, series tied at twos. And this one was remarkable. I mean, Charlie McAvoy enters COVID protocol, Josh Brown draws in, so yeah. no Lindholm, no McAvoy, and Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron go to work. Elliot. Well, you know, sometimes people ask, like, do you think Brad Marchand is a Hall of Famer? As a matter of fact, we were talking about this, I want to say two or three days ago, and I can't remember who asked it, and they said to me, if Brad Marchand's career ended today, and I'm sure there were some people who would really like to see that, if Brad Marchand's career ended today, would he be in the Hall of Fame? And I said, 100% yes. Where are you on this debate, Jeff? I'm a huge. I'm the wrong guy to ask because I'm a huge Brad Marchand yeah. fan. I'm. I'm. I know everyone focuses on you know the dirty stuff, the cheap stuff, and all that. He's one of the most skilled players in the game. Period. Has the championships. Has the numbers. Has the uh, elite level play over a long period of time. I'm. I'm bought and sold. I'm a. I'm a Brad Marchand guy. In a night where, as you said, they were really shorthanded, Lindholm out too, they lost a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman, and they might be out for a couple games with it. Mm -hmm. He had a five-point night, and he absolutely delivered. Now, I know that's not what everybody's talking about with him, and I'm curious to see where that's going to go. He got into D'Angelo's head. D'Angelo lost it. He threw the stick at him on the empty netter. Very clearly, Brad Marchand was out there to take Tony D'Angelo mentally off the game, and he succeeded in doing it. I think a lot of people out there can read lips. I am curious to see if the league is going to step in on this one. I got a note while all this was going on about a situation about a decade ago where a team uh, was 
going after another team with some stuff on the ice where the league basically stepped in and the referees started telling players, if you don't stop that, you're getting misconducts. And I actually checked with one of the players and he kind of confirmed that to me. He laughed and said, yeah, it, it happened. We were warned. So I do wonder if that's going to become like no more of that particular thing. Because mm-hmm. if you do, we're going to call you for it. I, since I now know it's happened at least once, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's the possibility it happens again. The uh, series has taken a nasty, nasty turn to it uh, here. Five two is the final score between. By the these- way, yes. By the way, if you were Rod Brindamore, <laughs> yes. Who are you starting in Game Five? Ah, uh, I'm going anti Ranta. Yeah, I, I get it. I am. I, I, I can't. Like, I haven't seen track record. I, I, I have to. I have to go to my guy. Would you not feel the same? I'm trying to. My, we my love, headset. we love the Kachetkov yes. story. I get it. We all love him, but he's been here for five minutes. Yeah, my head <laughs> says Ranta. My heart says throw the kid in. But I understand. I, I think you're probably making the right call. Put it this way: if I was, if I didn't have any hands on the wheel, and I don't, and I was just making, hey, let's have fun with it here, putting Kachetkov because it's a great story. Yeah, that's what. That's what I'd like is if I'm in the back seat. But if I'm Rod Brindamore and I've got a hand on the wheel or two hands on the wheel, everything changes. Yeah. Anyway, I yeah, I go I, I go rantive with the uh, for the next game. Five two is the final score. The St. Louis Blues beat the Minnesota Wild that series uh, at twos as well. Jordan Cairo with a pair, David Perron with a pair. Pareko and Falk, both over 30 minutes. Uh, no Tori Krug, Scott Perunovic comes in and Elliott. Jordan Bennington gets the win. I didn't realize it was his first win since 2019. You know, I remembered that last year they got wiped out, but I forgot that against Vancouver in the bubble, he didn't win. No. So I I completely forgot about that. You know, obviously I'm happy for Bennington. That's great for him. I mean, he lost his job. You know how competitive he is. We have four series that have gone through four games and we know all of them are going six. We're all talking here about the amount of blowout games there have been. Mm-hmm. The good thing is these are getting deeper. And I guess that that's the trade-off. We get blowouts, but we get deep series. You know, as I've said to you before, my biggest concern, Scandella got hurt, yep. is St. Louis going to run out of defensemen. I, when, I, when I look at these two teams right now, my number one concern for the whole series in terms of what could tip it mm. is is St. Louis going to run out of blue liners. The, the the one guy that I'm happy for here as well. Like I'm happy for Bennington. I think we all are. Uh, but Jordan Cairo. What a shocker. Oh, what a shocker he, that you would be happy. For I him. am really happy for Jordan Cairo. I know there's been both him and, and, and Robert Thomas. Like, What have we said about them the last couple of years? When are they going to bump up the ice? When are they going to bump up the ice time? Like when are they going to start to hand this thing over to the kids a little bit more? And as much as we thought the All-Star weekend was a big coming out party for Jordan Cairo, I get it that it's tough to grab a, a top six spot on the St. Louis Blues team. What was it nine, 20 goal scorers? Like as a really balanced offensive attack. I'm just glad that he was able to distinguish himself in this one and pop those two goals and scored that one gorgeous, like absolutely gorgeous goal for each. Nice play by Falk off the wall to Mikula. Clears it ahead, but to the red line, Perron strips it. Dumps it into the Minnesota zone. Perron and Greenway will punch at one another. And the Blues get it in front. Toe drag. Kairou. Score! 
Yes, my wife wishes I love her as much as you love Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. I admit, I'm a, I'm a little biased. I'm a little biased. <laughs> the All-Stars found his mojo. 8.36 to go in the second period. Cairo extends the lead to 3-1. What a backhanded goal and a great smile on the face of Cairo. The other thing I want to say about the St. Louis team is I'd like to credit whoever told it to me or where I saw it. But apparently, if you look at Pareko's shift chart and all the different defensemen he played with, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. And I remember noticing it a little bit that he was out there with some different people. But if you really look at Pareko's shift chart and see who he played with and how many different guys – like if someone said to me, if you gave a Norris trophy for a day, he would win it. And it was so good. You let him have it for like another week. Ooh, that's an interesting concept. Award trophies daily. Oh, uh, so next, next year we'll do the in-season Stanley Cup and the in-season daily trophies. Uh, like we don't annoy people enough already. Okay. Who won the heart trophy last night, Elliot? Oh, I can just imagine. All right, a smoky break for our Thoughtline partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. With meats prepared and smoked in-house, it's no wonder why they're Canada's home for barbecue. Check them out, and as Elliot always says... Try the ribs. Yes, their ribs are smoked in-house every day until they fall off the bone. And don't forget, Montana's has all-you-can-eat ribs Every Wednesday. Head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar and take the all-you-can-eat rib challenge every Wednesday. Smoking good barbecue only at Montana's. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple, and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Dallas Stars. Let's go to Saturday because we're going to see these teams again on Monday. Dude, Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars. Joe Pavelski again. Jake Ottinger again. 39 saves. 4-2 is the final. Stars lead this series 2-1. And, you know, all season long, and this has always been Jim Nill's M.O., as much as there's been a sort of rush to try to move in more youth, and listen, they certainly have, whether it was Jason Robertson or, or Rupe Hins and Miro Haskinen's a young player, Jim Nill has always believed you get in and it's the veteran guys that get it done for you. And that's partially right. It is Joe Pavelski. But 
Ottinger's putting on a clinic here. Yeah. For the Dallas Stars for age. He's been outstanding. Haskinen's been outstanding as well. And through all of this, John Klingberg's trying to fight everybody, which no one saw, which no one saw. After game two, I said to Kelly, do you think you have to tell Kachuk to stop doing this? And he said, no, I, I don't think it's that bad. I'm adamant now, after game three, that this has to stop for Calgary. You've got to win a series now. I don't like predicting four and five game playoff series. I, I think that this league is too tight and these teams are too closely matched. I thought Calgary was going to win this series, but I didn't think they were going to blow them out. And they still might win this series. As you said, Ottinger's playing great and their offense is not as lethal as it was. Dallas, to your point, they have a game plan and they're disciplined enough to stick to the game plan. Like Robertson has been very quiet and I think he could break out at any time, but I think generally he's been very quiet, but the Calgary big guns, like Kachuk has to stop worrying about Klingberg or anybody else. Those guys have to worry about scoring. And the other night, you know, Sutter, and I don't think the quote was as bad as it came across on social media. Like the one about when Goudreau doesn't score on the breakaway and Sutter said it's his job. It was a lot worse reading it than I actually think it came across. Yeah. But the one thing I, I did think about, Jeff, is that there are times in a playoff series, like Sheldon Keith's message after the game on Sunday for the Leafs was, you know, we got our split. We're good with that. There's no way on earth that Sheldon Keefe is okay with the split. But he's saying that because he's kind of like, look, we still have a chance to win this series. We just got our asses kicked. They're going to be piled on enough. I'm going to kind of protect my team a little bit. And I think that's the right move. I think that that's where, in this kind of situation, I still think Calgary can win this series, but they're in a dogfight. They're in a really tough dogfight with a mature team that knows how to play. And I just wonder sometimes, like in a, with a comment like that, with Sutter's bluntness, I just wonder if a guy like Goudreau is like, that's not what I need to hear right now. Hmm. Okay, so that one's a lot tighter than many of, and by that I mean me. Uh, than many of us thought. Listen, I'm never shy about calling for a four or a five. I think it's, I, as, as insulting as it may be to some teams, I think it's kind of fun, to be honest with you. And every now and then, you're right. Avalanche and the Nashville Predators. Uh, Avalanche wins 7-3. to three. They grab a 3 nothing series lead. Look to close out on Monday. Gabriel Landeskog. Four points. Kale McCarr, three points. Yeah. Um, but one of the big stories coming out of this one was the Darcy Kemper injury. There's a chance he plays game four uh, on Monday. We'll see what happens on Monday. But that's a scary incident. And there were there, it's happened before to goaltenders. You know, listen, this is how Bernie Perrant, this is how his career ended in 1979 with Don Maloney's uh, stick. Complete accident, but... There it was, um, whether it was Rick Pietro and Sidney Crosby, whether it's Henrik Lundqvist and his teammate Mark Stahl. It's happened before, but, you know, Elliot, you and I talked about this plenty in the green room. Uh, from the goaltending fraternity, there's about zero, zero appetite to put any type of bars across the sight lines. 
Well, the amazing thing about it is it's not the first time it's happened to Kemper. It's the second. It happened to him in 2019 as well. Yeah. So even if you argue that it happens as often as lightning strikes, it, it struck him twice. But you're right. The goalies have really fought it. I can't remember if it was you who pointed out. I think it was you who pointed out to me that actually the stick didn't go through his eyes. No, not the cat's eye. No, underneath. It went the one below. So it wasn't even the cat's eye here that was. And first of all, you know, I would like to say this. I think it's disgusting. Like, I don't get caught up on too much Twitter stuff. Like, it's just. It's too much now. I thought it was disgusting that people were saying Ryan Johansson did that on purpose. Mm. Or a player knows that there must be something on the end of his stick so he doesn't react that way. Look, I understand the hot take world. Sometimes people just have to have hot takes because it makes the world go around. But there's a big difference between hot takes and stupid takes. And the whole thing about Ryan Johansson doing that on purpose is as stupid a take as I've ever heard. There's no way you're doing that on purpose. And it was an accident. It was a gruesome accident. I'm glad Kemper's okay. I wonder if they just hold him out, you know, just for precautionary reasons. Let him heal. We're up 3 nothing. But, you know, I, I'm with you, Jeff. I think the NHL realized a long time ago, look, they wanted to change equipment. As any negotiation goes... There's some things you're going to win and there's some things you're going to lose. And they were fighting on the chest protectors. They were fighting on the pads. They were fighting on the jerseys. And I think the goalies just said, we want to be able to see the best we can. And that's where we're holding our line. And I think the NHL said, look, if we're going to fight to win, we're going to fight to win some of those other things. And we're just going to have to concede on the goalie's mask. As many may feel, it is ridiculous because this is your eyes we're talking about here. The The goalie fraternity, they feel the risk is worth the reward. Like, it's just that blunt. Like, there's no chance. Like, to a person, I have not heard, I don't know if you have, Elliot, I have not spoken to one goalie who said, yeah, you know what? We should probably put a bar in there. Like, no way. Any, they will not go for anything that hampers their sight lines at all. They, they in their mind it happens too infrequently and again the risk is very much worth it by the way jeff i i have to say this and i agree with you of all the goaltender interference calls i've seen in the playoffs rulings one way or the other mm-hmm. the one that confused me the most was the one on saturday afternoon with lekin i know it was outside the crease but i really thought when i watched it again on sunday morning I really thought there were, Ingram just didn't have a chance to make that save. I've disagreed with some others here and there, but the one that kind of confused me the most yeah. was that one. You talked about hot takes a couple of seconds ago. It's This is the opposite of the hot take. I don't know what to make of that one because I can see it both ways. That's fair. I, I really can. That's one of those... And normally, like, like, listen, it's kind of my job to have an opinion on these types of things, but I can see that one completely both ways. Like, I would be, I would hate to be in a position to make that call because I can, I, I can see both ways on that one. Good to see Milk Toast Merritt showed up for the podcast. That, the, I know, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, you're not, you're not going to get that. I would hate to be the one deciding on that one because I can completely see it both ways there. 
okay, so that's the uh, the Colorado Nashville series. So three nothing. We'll see if the Avs can can close out and sweep on Monday. Florida Panthers and Washington Capitals six to one is the final score. The Caps grab a two to one series lead. Samsonov has been really good. I know there was a lot of you know moaning and whining and complaining about Samsonov this season. He's been good, Fridge. Capitals power play has been good, Fridge. Yes. Ovechkin has been good, not just scoring, but ask Jonathan Huberto and Alexander Barkov, you know, his physicality yeah. as well. And you know who else has been good? TJ Oshie and Anthony Mantha has been really good for the Caps. Their best players have been their best players. There's no question about that. And the Mantha one is very big because, as you know, Mantha's always kind of had that that label of which Anthony Manta are you kind of getting? And they're getting the really good one. I have to say, Jeff, if you would have told me that after three games in this series, we would have seen both Samsonov and Vanacek, including once in the same game, I would have said there's no way Washington would have been ahead in this series. So I, I am surprised. I thought it was really interesting to see how emotional Samsonov got in the aftermath of Game 3 mm-hmm. when he was asked about the fans cheering his name. Sammy, what was it like to hear uh, the crowd, 20,000 people chanting, Sammy, Sammy? I don't think I've, I don't think I've heard that yet. It's close to cry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, fans. Uh, this is important, too. You know, thank you, team. Uh, a lot of blocks today. It's more important we play together, and we got a uh, great result. The fact that he said that, I think what it shows you is how hard this year has been for him and how much pressure he's put on himself and how he probably hasn't felt uh, very good about himself for a certain amount of time. I found that, you know, very, very instructive. But I give Washington credit. Their best players had to be their best players. Their power play had to be good, and one of their goaltenders had to be good enough. And so far, they're hitting on all those things, and that's why they've got the lead. I don't think Florida's done. I still think there's time here, but the recipe for Washington to win Mm -hmm. is certainly there. And we should never lose sight of the fact that they are doing this without Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Which makes it even more difficult. The Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday night, 7-4 is the final. The Penguins lead the series 2-1. Would it be too simplistic to say the Penguins won the first period, the Rangers won the second period, and then the Penguins won the third period? It was a dominant performance in the first and the third by the Penguins, and then they let the Rangers back into it. No, I think that's very fair. And Jeff, you know, you heard what I just said about the goaltending in the Washington series. Yeah. I mean, look at this one. If you would have told me it was Louis Domingue for two plus games versus Igor Shesterkin, who's picking Pittsburgh ahead two games to one? Yeah. Well, if you're saying like, okay, we're going to have a game where uh, Louis Domingue is playing against Igor Shesterkin, one of the goaltenders is going to get pulled. Who are you picking? Absolutely. Absolutely. Not a chance. Now, Crosby has been otherworldly. Yeah. And Dumoulin's out too. Like, they're, they're, I mean, they're really. And Raquel and, and Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. Like, this is impressive. Yes. This is impressive. And the Rangers have their injuries too. Like, Goodrow is in particular and, and Lindgren. Those are, those are losses for them. I'm not shortchanging them, but. 
like I said, the, you, you look at Shesterkin versus what he's going up against, and and you're taking the Rangers a thousand times out of a thousand. Crosby is just willing that team yeah. to victory. The other guys have been really good too. Like he's he's not the only one, but I just look at him and he's unbelievable. He's absolutely unbelievable how, how good he is and, and how much of an impact he's having and he's just dragging them into the battle all the time. He scores the unbelievable goal in, in New York and he's, he's pissed off he doesn't get a penalty on it. Yep. The guy is so wired right now. He is wired to win this series. I still look at it and I, I wonder can Domingue, as great a story as he is, can he really win a seven-game series against the Rangers. Mm. I mean, he's given them a shot. They're halfway. He's given them a shot. They're halfway there. Yeah. He's got two more games. Can Louis Domingue win two more games? Like, I don't know how you break it down in, like, mentally. I'm always curious how players break things down. Like, I remember, you know, Glenn Healy telling me the story, and I'm sure he's told you the same thing, too, about that Islanders upset of the Pittsburgh Penguins back in 93. Yes. And Al Arbor walking around the room to every single player and saying, can you win one shift against Mario Lemieux? Yes, I can. Can you win one shift against Mario Lemieux? Yes, I can. Can you win one shift against Mario Lemieux? And and that's how we got them into that, into that mindset of, I just need to beat Mario Lemieux on one shift and we're going to be okay. I'm curious what's going on in Louis Domingue's head here. Because A, you're looking down across the ice at the goaltender that's going to win the Vesna Trophy this year. And you're looking at Zapanajad and Panarin, you know, and like these kick rider and these killers. But then you got Crosby. The, the, this one is a fascinating series. The games have been so entertaining right from the get go yes. with the, the triple overtime game. This has been a great series. Pittsburgh leads this one. Two to one. And before you wrap up, Fridge, any final thoughts on what we saw this weekend from you? Anything stand out, positive, negative, anything you're curious about? What what jumps to your mind from the weekend? I like the fact that they've established look, if you're trying to score and you touch the goalies, that's one thing and they'll review it. But generally, if you touch the goalies, you're in trouble. And without trying to score. And I, I agree with that. I, I think it's the right way to be. I think also, Jeff, though, I remember a year ago, I said I would like to see the likes of Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews getting one more call again. Mm. I think we're going too far right now. I think there are too many penalties being called. I don't know what the happy medium is. I guess it is like, what's the old line? How do you define pornography? I don't know, but I know it when I see it, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I just think there's too many penalties right now. Like, what do you think? Okay, so here's the question that I've been asking for years, and everybody has a different answer. Hockey I look at, let me know if you feel the same way. Hockey is a five-on-five -five game. Agree or disagree? I agree. Hockey is a five-on-five -five game, so we agree on that. There are also power plays contained in that game. It is a 60-minute game. Yes. At what point do you say that this is no longer hockey because all it is is two teams exchanging power plays? Is it 10 minutes? Is it 14 minutes? Is it 20 minutes? Is it 24 minutes? Is it 30 minutes? Like, at what point do you say, this really isn't 
hockey anymore. This is just, we're going to play 50-50 puck and take our chances on the special teams. And I would submit that's not hockey. And we've seen teams play that before. We say, you know what, we're just going to play even up, even up, even up, and take our chances because our power play is good. I would submit that that's not really playing hockey. And I don't have a magic number. I don't have a magic, well, you know what, 18 minutes of uh, special teams. That's all that I'm good with. But much like you, and I'll use a, I won't use your your <clears throat> your shameful pornography example. I'll <laughs> I'll use jazz, Elliot. Uh, I can't define jazz, but I know it when I hear it. I don't know what that number is, but there are just some games where I feel I'm not watching hockey. I'm just watching two teams exchange power plays, and I don't know if that's hockey. I had a long talk with someone about this today. I don't blame the referees. I, I don't think this is a refereeing issue. So last year, the competition committee met, and two of the most vocal players were Connor McDavid and Mark Shifley, I heard. Okay. And McDavid obviously was disappointed after, you know, he didn't get a single penalty called against him in four games. And they said, call the standard, call the rule book, call the rule book. It was what they said. And the other thing, too, that was pointed out to me tonight, and I kind of forgot about this, is the Mayfield cross-check that injured Kucherov. Yeah. That there's no play from last year's playoffs that's had a bigger hangover to this year. Like some of the cross checks I've seen called, I think are very legitimate penalties, but some of them I think they're just looking for cross checks because of what happened last year with with Mayfield and Kucherov. And I do think there's going to be a happy medium. I'm curious to see if this is going to continue this way. I don't blame the referees. I would just be very curious to see how. Like when, when this round is over, I'm going to try to reach out to some players and ask them, what did you think? Like, do you like this? Am I wrong? Like when I say I think this is too much, mm. am I wrong? You know, like I'm watching a guy like Matthews or other great players kind of get taken out of games. Like one night Carolina had nine power plays. So all the Boston guys who don't kill penalties are out of the game. Now, if you commit that many penalties legitimately, I don't feel sorry for you, but this is happening a lot. And I just wonder, is this is this what the players want? I would be curious to know if that's the answer. Here's the answer. No one's ever happy because no one has ever been happy with officiating. This has been a story going back to well before... You know, well before you and I invented hockey, Elliot. Yeah, but I but I want to tell you, like, I don't get upset at the officials for this. I'm not saying that. No, I'm not saying that you get upset at the officials about it. All I'm saying is, it's a position that it's impossible for everybody to agree upon. Yes, that's like fair. no one, no, no one's ever going to settle on. Oh, this officiating is great. Yeah, it's never happened, and here's the secret: it's never going to. Yeah. Because the sweet spot of the bat is different for everyone on this one. Yeah. My sweet spot of the bat hits it like 460 feet. Oh, please. What's the farthest you think you can hit a baseball? Well, that's a great question. Put it this way. I've seen video of Reggie Jackson hitting it out of Tiger Stadium. Oh, it's crazy. That's not me. I'm not doing that. I don't have a great answer for you there. Like I've, I've hit some good bombs in softball, but 
Like, I, I honestly, I don't have a good answer for you there. It's a great question. The, on, the only reason I bring it up is, you know, I was at the uh, at the diamond with uh, with Brody this morning for his for his baseball team, and yeah. I'm one of the assistant coaches, and so I do a lot of stuff with the, uh, you know, I'll do the infield and I'll I'll do fly balls for the outfield, and you know, my biggest addiction. This might be my biggest addiction in life, other than coffee. Do you know what it is? What's that? Hitting fungos, man. It's the absolute know, really best. Fun. It is the best feeling in the world, Elliot. I love yeah, it. I like and that. you could just crack it and it sounds so good. And it just sails. It is such an addiction, Elliot. I can't stop. Sorry. Uh, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I remember <laughs> when I used to do Jays, Jimmy Williams, when he was managing the Red Sox, I remember him coming to uh, Toronto once. As, as, as usual, it was the Red Sox. There was a ton of controversy going on. I remember being on the field and all the Red Sox writers were were waiting to interview him before a game and, and he was just hitting fungos. And one of the writers just goes, this freaking guy, all he wants to do is hit fungos. The best. Then I watched, it was, a, it was like a four-game series and every day he was hitting fungos. Uh, and I was like, you know, I, I kind of get that. Uh, I get that. When I, when I retire, I'm just going to like honestly just go to the diamond with a bucket of balls every single day and just hit fungos because it's so much fun. It's the best. It's, it's ve- it, is, it is very therapeutic. It's, it's like the driving range. So, yeah. You know what? Yeah. It's like it's like baseball. That's a great way to put it. It's like it's like baseball's driving range. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the action over the weekend. Plenty more to come and more podcasts as well. But taking us out tonight, uh, a song you might have heard in a few places over the last year. Margot and Mac have only released one track, but it's a pretty solid tune. Here's It's So Easy by Margot and Mac on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Enjoy. Now, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences... People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.